Welcome to the Real Life Roundtable podcast, conversations about culture, Christianity, church, and community, and where all those intersect as we explore real life with one another. The Real Life Roundtable is a production of Real Life Community Church in Portage, Indiana. For more information, follow us at RLCC Life on Facebook or visit reallifecc.org. Hey, welcome. This is Rich Doring, and I'm here with Ben Chattel. And hello uh, again. This is the Real Life Roundtable podcast. And uh, what'd you do this weekend, Ben? Uh, this weekend was kind of the typical weekend for a young family. Um, got to spend some extra time with the kids. Um, Isla and Parker are both trying to to master skateboarding and riding their bikes, so we spent some time doing that, working on those things. Uh, had a couple friends over for a bonfire on Friday night. And yeah, just kind of spent some time as a family, tried to get all those memories in and stuff like that. So what about you? Cool. Yeah. Saturday we took uh, a third kid to college. Two of them were a couple weeks ago, but then uh, the third one. So all three of the boys are in college at exactly the same time. So that was fun. And um, yeah, there's a lot to figure out about that one. But uh, and uh, we'll see what else. We went to Ikea after that. So, I mean, that was, we took, I took Shelly to the land of her people. That could take anywhere from 10 minutes to 10 hours. Yeah. It was even have a lunch break in the middle. So, and we were also at a wedding, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Sunday we got to go to our youth director, Zach Rudd's wedding. That was pretty fun. That was in Michigan. And we, uh, it was a beautiful, it was hot, but, uh, but it was good, man. It was, it was really cool. And it's always fun to dance. So. Yeah, it didn't help that it was hot, and we also were all wearing black yeah. too. But no, it was good, and uh, yeah, we're pretty happy for them. Excited for them, him and Kara as they start this next chapter of their lives. And uh, so, speaking of weddings, this whole idea of two becoming one—what happened at your wedding? What was like something that stood out at your wedding? When was your wedding? What year was it? So my wedding was in October, and it was—I'm trying to count back the years—twenty thirteen. I so, was there. Yeah, you were there. You were officiating. You were there. Everybody remembers an individual hovering over the cupcakes. And I'm not going to mention which yeah, individual that, that, that was. And there might have been a picture that is still in our memories forever. This body didn't happen by accident, man. Come on. Um, some stuff that I remember about the wedding. Uh, me and my brother cut up the dance floor, of course, which I'm sure nobody expected because they we don't come across as people that are going to be on the dance floor. But you know, when in Rome, when in a wedding, you dance. So we did that. Um, I also remember the awkwardness of having to try to make it around every single table and say hi to every single family member, including family members that I may or may not have met since I was like four or five years old. So it's kind of like, oh, we miss you so much. And then they're like, oh, you've gotten so big. And it's like, <laughs> well, it's been like 20 years. So I, I, defin- I definitely grew in 20 years. So just a lot of that, but it, I do remember it going by super fast, and I remember having a lot of leftover cupcakes, and I'm glad there were pictures because you kind of forget after you all those forget. years. You do forget. What about you? Ours was way back in the 1900s because that's just how we roll, and uh, let's see. Our wedding was pretty traditional, and 
pretty kind of high church in a way, but probably the most memorable part of it, um, we had a ring bearer and um, he's a cute little kid, little blonde kid. And uh, we took him, we rented tuxedos and all that stuff. And when we went to pick up the tuxedos, for some reason, the place in Peoria where we rented those tuxedos, they, they just didn't have any more like tuxedos for little boys. But strangely enough, they had a tuxedo for a little person. Wow. And so um, that was the tuxedo that our ring bearer ended up with. And what that meant was the pants were just huge. I mean, the waist was huge. And so halfway through the wedding, and of course, you know, being traditional, we had the ring bearer and the flower girl up there standing with the groomsmen and all that stuff. I mean, it, his pants fell down. I mean, they were just down around his ankles and it was full moon fever. It was like, <laughs> it was, and you know, then poor Shelly's little brother's trying to pull his pants up and all that kind of stuff. So well, at least it was a child. We've been <clears throat> at weddings where pants have fallen down from adults. So. That's true. That is yeah. true. But, uh, no, that was, that was probably most memorable, but that was back in 1996. So we've been married 26 years, uh, two weeks ago. So yeah, we, we had a mostly traditional ceremony, I guess. We also had our whole entire wedding at a golf course, which yeah. is the only time I'll probably ever step on a fancy golf course like that. I didn't even feel like I, I deserved to golf on the golf course near the fancy. wedding because it was pretty fancy. So thanks, mom and dad. So speaking of weddings, two becoming one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're thinking about weddings and stuff like that. Um, we all know that as the church, we are the bride of Christ. So... There's a lot of relationship talk in the Bible. There's a lot of the two becoming one flesh when it comes to marriage, but there's also a lot of conversations about what it looks like to be the church and how we're united together. So the expectations is when you take that vow, when you say those words on your wedding day, that you mean them and that you stick to them and they, they actually carry weight to how you live moving forward. You don't make that vow and then just decide to, to separate for no reason. It's, it's a commitment before God. And as a church, we kind of, when we say statements like, I believe in the creed and stuff like that, we're saying that we're making a commitment not only to Christ, but we're making commitment to his mission and to his bride, which is the church. So let's and talk about another, that. Yeah. So like in a couple of weeks, uh, well, really our focus this whole last year has been called one. And I know people threw around the word unity left and right and kind of casually, but, but ultimately we just, we've kind of focused on John 17, where Jesus prayed that the that we would be one as he and the father are one. And then he, he kind of attaches this caveat to it and says, then the world will know that, that he sent his son. And so there's kind of this tie in with the world knowing who Jesus is based on how we as the church function together. Are we united? Are we one? And, um, one of the things that we're doing here in a couple of weeks is we're jumping into kind of a, a longer study of the Apostles' Creed, this kind of statement that obviously unites believers over the centuries, where it kind of whittles all the periphery things away and narrows down on what do we really believe. And one of the interesting things, we'll probably kind of wrap this around at the end to talk about this, but the statement begins, I believe. I know there's a song that says, we believe, but and we'll probably sing that during these services, but um, it begins, I believe, I believe. And so it's very easy to think about this as, well, here are the things that I believe. But what we fail to remember when we do that is we're almost saying a vow. We're saying a vow that I believe just like the others who have gone before me, who are going to come after me, who exist now with me. Uh, we're uniting ourselves 
with other people. And I think one of the reasons that's really important to think about that right now is we just suffer from individualism. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit today. Um, you know, how is, how has individualism affected the life of not just our church, but, but the church probably majorly in the West is, is this idea that there's just this individualism that's taken over. And you can look at it from the, the context of, you know, personal salvation. Uh, yes, we, you know, we have a, a personal salvation in Jesus Christ, but our, our salvation also is with um, and among other people. And so it's, it's great that I know Jesus, but it's also great that we know Jesus and live out and embody what that means. And um, there's just a lot of focus on individualism. So we're going to talk about that. Well, it's just a, a lot bit. of, it's a lot of like the, the sentiment is often like you're being saved from something. So like right. I, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm saying I believe in Jesus because I'm being saved from something. But we take that to such a far extreme that it's like I'm Jesus is saving me from everything, including the people around me. Or like he's saving me <laughs> to some kind of okay, perfection. I may have that prayed that every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean come on. we're all guilty. And we all sit with people at church on Sundays that we don't always agree with. But it's it's our idea of salvation is escaping something. And that's not really what Jesus calls us to do. It's it would be when you get married, you commit yourself to that person for life. That's right. not a death wish. That's not I'm saying we're gonna make this vow to each other and then we're gonna die. It's now from this moment on, we're gonna live amongst each other. So it's being saved into something, not saved right. out well, of something. Well, and the individuals become one. Right. You know, they they come together under the same union. And so I, I you know, approaching the Apostles' Creed in that with that mindset and that posture, the idea that say, you know, I, I vow, I believe along with these other believers, you're essentially doing this with people mm -hmm. and, and the two become one. You're uniting yourself with others. I, um, I follow a couple blogs and, uh, there's this one called mere orthodoxy and, uh, it's a, it's a really great blog. It covers all kinds of different stuff, but there was an article that came out a while back called the church of individualism. It was written by Brad Edwards and it kind of came out right in the beginning stages, middle stages of the pandemic. And, um, and it really centers on the idea of fruit, but he was, uh, in a, uh, he was in a conversation on his podcast and um, his podcast is called Everything Just Changed, but he was interviewing a guy named Brandon Washington. He's the founding pastor of the Embassy Church in Denver. And uh, this guy was telling his story. And as I heard this, uh, and then I went a little bit deeper and dug into it, I thought, okay, this, this plays into the individualism issue. And he talked about his homeowners association. And the fact that they had also some, a thing I'll never experience. Right. In my life. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure if I <laughs> can contextualize that, but, but he's, his homeowners association had a guy come in to trim trees and he had this beautiful tree in his front yard. And uh, for some reason, the tree trimmers went around and then when they were done, they skipped that one solitary tree. They just wouldn't trim that tree. And it's not like it was huge or wasn't reachable or, or whatever it was, but it was, it was a flowering fruit tree. And so there was evidently something in their policy or their agreement that they would trim any tree, but they're not going to trim fruit trees. And he had to explain to the, the guy, well, listen, yeah, it, it technically it's a fruit tree, but it's been domesticated. It's been mm -hmm. domesticated and bred and developed in such a way that 
it looks really, really great. I mean, it produces these incredible fruit blossoms and different things like that, but it's been domesticated to the point where it's not going to produce fruit. So in a way, that that's tree a sermon is, right there. Right. I so mean, the tree is honestly in its own existence, a little bit of the betrayal of its purpose. It, it's a, it's a tree that's supposed to look beautiful. It's supposed to look a certain part. It's supposed to represent a certain thing. But in the way, because of the way it's been cultivated, the way it's been nurtured, the way it's been developed, it's been developed to actually not produce the kind of fruit that its name would imply. And I remember uh, where we lived in Iowa for a few years, uh, we had this flowering Bradford pear tree. First of all, they reeked. I mean, they just stunk. Uh, I mean, they smelled like feet and cheese. It was, they were just not, they didn't smell good, but I tell you what, man, the boulevards were lined with these trees. And when they were in full bloom, it was almost like this white haze was all over everything. And it was really, really beautiful. It stunk a little bit. It was really, really beautiful. But at the end of the day, those flower petals would fall off and you'd just be left with this uh, standalone green tree that didn't produce any fruit, but it was called a Bradford pear tree. Hmm. And so that really got me thinking, you know, this idea that has the church become domesticated in the sense that we've kind of cultivated this image. Yeah. Image or product or brand where we say, Hey, you come and you get for yourself what you need you add the branches to your tree to look a certain way, to be a certain way. This is all very, very individualized. But then what we see in our world today, and I think what we see in the life and the expression of Christians a lot of times is a lack of fruit. So you see, you know, the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Right. I mean, that's what all it's those, all about. All those that's the Christian things. life right there. But if, if that's not being produced, you have to start asking why. And what are we doing as a church to not help form or cultivate people where those fruit become the natural outgrowth. And I'm wondering if there's a tie-in with individualism and how we've presented um, church or engagement in church or even positioned ourselves as a church sometimes. Now, I'm not just talking about the church that we're part of real life, but, mm. but the church and kind of maybe part of the church growth movement. What have we done that has produced people who don't, love their neighbor? What what have we done to produce people who, you know, profess a deep faith in Jesus, but yet will absolutely obliterate somebody online or will demonize people who don't vote the way you do or, or think the way you do or live where you do or, or anything like that, or look like you do or whatever the case is, right? What, what is the missing ingredient here? And there's, there's a part of me that wonders kind of going back to the marriage analogy, all that kind of different stuff. When we say, I believe, we kind of mean, I believe. And we are looking for the church to reinforce what I believe, mm-hmm. not necessarily understanding that when I say, I believe, I'm joining myself with others who are saying that statement. And that has ramifications. That has yeah, implications. I think that like thinking about, again, the wedding analogy and just what that looks like, I think that we've all been kind of trained to make those vows, make those, I believe statements, but we're kind of making those vows into a mirror. We're, 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 we're convincing ourselves that, Hey, I believe these things, but there's nobody on the other side of that vow there. It's, I am committing myself to you. I am 
tying my life to you. This symbol is my love to you. But I think a lot of times it's to a mirror. I mean, think about like, even in the church, even in Christian cultures, how much the conversation revolves around like how God can make your life better Mm -hmm. or how you can become a successful Christian or how you need to care for yourself. And I'm not like saying there's anything wrong with self-care and people taking care of their needs, but it seems like a lot of stuff is being marketed in the Christian community and in things like that, that it's how to make your life better, but it's not about the mission of Jesus. There's, there's not another person on the other side of those vows. It's what, it's what information can I gain to improve my life or to make myself a better person, which is all well and good to make your life better and to become a better person, obviously, but it's just, it has to go beyond that. You believe these statements because it's supposed to change your life, because right. it's supposed to reorient your life, not closer to yourself, but to reorient your life closer to the church, closer to God. Like there is another person. When when that veil gets lifted up, when you're saying your vows, there's another person there. It's not <laughs> you in a dress. It's it's we've we fall in love with ourselves, I guess is what I'm saying. And I, I'm I'm saying we because it's me too. Right. And I think it's easy just to bring a whole lot of different things to the table. And and I know this sounds like we're kind of taking a negative turn here, but I mean, ultimately the church bears responsibility. We train people how to behave. We we teach people how to respond. And so, you know, and, and I've been doing this now for, you know, 25 plus years. And so I'm looking at the things that I was trained to do. I'm looking at the things that I was asked to do. Uh, as a pastor, I'm looking at the metrics, uh, you know, I mean, the metrics are get as many people at a gathering as you possibly can. And that must mean you're doing something right. If those are all the metrics, the easiest way to do that is to come from a consumer standpoint and begin to address individual felt needs, whether they're real needs or perceived needs. And, you know, I mean, I, and I think there's a time and a place for topical things. I think there's a time and a place for all kinds of different stuff. But, you know, if, if your entire platform, if your entire mission, if your entire uh, mode of operation is trying to figure out what are the things I need to talk about, what are the things that need to look a certain way, what are the things that need to feel a certain way, so that we can convince people that this is going to help them so that they'll engage with us, I think that automatically creates a very consumer-driven paradigm where where you're telling people, I mean, we've in essence told people, listen, we're here for you, which is not wrong, Mm -hmm. right? That's not Mm -hmm. incorrect. We're here for you. You tell us what you need. We are here to meet that need. And thus, if we don't meet that need, whether or not we should be meeting it or not, right. if we don't meet that need that you're looking for. And that need might be, Hey, we need a place for our kids to come to church. That's great. Right. You know, or, or, you know, maybe your need is a finance class. Maybe your need is to hear, but then, then we kind of start getting into other categories. Like my need is I need to be a part of a worship experience that really moves me. Okay. Well that, that changed a little bit. That that dynamic changes a little bit. Right? Well, and right now it's like the big thing is I need to find a church that lines up perfectly politically. And right. It's like right. if if the leader of the church or if the staff of the church or if 
the majority of the people of the church don't vote the same way that I do, then I need to find another church. So what are we doing? Like we've, we've, we've so limited the gospel message. Right. Well, and in that blog and in that, in that, um, that podcast that I referenced before from mere orthodoxy, they use the word domesticated. And so what is the harsh word, right? What does it look like when the church has been domesticated is the church has been essentially trained, trained. And, And when you have a, when you have a domesticated church, and I think that it's very easy to see how how pervasive the individualism issue is when the church begins to have to address certain things, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's human sexuality or racism or, you know, in a very careful way, politics. When all of a sudden things begin to threat, hey, man, I'm just here so we can instill some moral values. I, I, I'm just here because we agree with, you know— the value system that this church believes in, or I'm, I'm just here because it's the right thing to do for my family. All of a sudden, when those things get threatened, we begin to see, okay, we're, we're taking our passions, we're taking our identity and we're creating it as a separate thing. And the church is, the church is over here. I'm over here. The church exists over here to meet me where I want it to meet me over here. We don't see ourselves as the church. Does that make sense? Right. And then the, the, what happens is the church becomes the content creator to justify whatever the individual wants to do with that. And that's when you get to things like the the word is Christianese. I don't know if everybody's heard of that. It's this language that if you grew up in the church, which is me, I'm guilty. Christianese is you learn a language for how to pray. You learn language for what words to say when you're in church, what words you're not supposed to say in the church. But then when you get to like the real things where a life situation asks you or calls you to produce fruit for another person, that's not in the church. Right. So somebody comes to you in your neighborhood, your neighbor who you're called to love, and they present you with a situation that they really need you to love them. They need kindness. They need patience. They need goodness. And all you can give them is church talk that's when they don't see Jesus. That's right. when they see your church brand. That's when they see that, oh, you're one of them and I'm on the outside looking in. You can't help me. And that's why people don't go to the church to help them with real problems because we take real problems and then we paint a veneer on them. Right. We whitewash them. Right. We, we, we clean things up to say, it's not a real problem. It's just you need Jesus. That's why, I mean, pastors argue all the time of you can't talk about certain things because you need to just talk about the gospel. What does that even mean? The gospel is not only a salvation message. The gospel is not how do we give people a script for how they're supposed to talk and how they're supposed to present themselves. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King of our lives. If you say, I believe in God, the father, I believe in Jesus, the son, I believe all those things happens. That means that you are on a journey with Jesus and he reigns in your life. Not a politician with others too. Yeah. You're not, you're, you're not under a politician. You're not even under a pastor. But there's obviously responsibilities that a pastor has, but at the same time, it's again, it's not being married to a brand. It's not being married to a certain church, nomination person. It's truly being the bride of Christ. And that means that we're one with Christ. We can't just say the things. We have to do the things. Okay. So let's turn a corner. So we live in a world, we live in a culture and we participate. You and I freely participate in a culture Mm -hmm. where we are cultivating certain identities, um, individual identities. We have platforms, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's Facebook or social media, anything like that. Um, you and I 
have a responsibility that puts ourselves literally in front of people on a weekly basis. And so there's always this concept, I think, of a public persona and a public platform that we mm-hmm. all have. And I think uh, one of the ways that individualism is revealed is when that public platform starts to get threatened. Because, and what that speaks to, I think, is is a key issue here is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And if all of a sudden the layers start getting peeled back or there's holes that begin to get poked into the platform that I've established, the thing that I want other people to know about me as an individual, this is who I am. This is what I look like. This is what I care about. This is how I vote. This is how I think. When all of a sudden the gospel, okay, begins to poke holes in some of that, or Jesus comes along and and screws the whole thing up and says stuff like, yeah, you ought to pray for your enemies. You, know, you, ought, you ought to actually, it's the meek that inherit the earth. Right. Okay. Those statements literally, I mean, they're, they're very, very tangibly and literally a threat to the idea that I have certain rights and it is my God given right to stand on those. And how dare anybody take those things away from me? Yet we have a same savior who says, deny yourself, pick up a cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. The fact that we are so focused on our individual rights tells us that we've kind of, we've jumped stream. I mean, we, we, we've, there's a, there's a path, there is that narrow way, but instead we've kind of broadened the path. We've created a river and, and it, and it does, it caters to that individualistic nature. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote this in, in a blog post that I wrote, but I think one of the greatest challenges that Anybody who's leading a church in the 20, I mean, in the 2020s right now is faced with this gigantic challenge of re-discipling people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to do with consumerism. It has to do with individualism. Um, but more than anything, I think it has to do with understanding that this this dying to self thing, this willingness to to say not my will, but yours be done. I mean, we, we are right. literally supposed to embody the character of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you know, does that mean God, and we love those statements. Does that mean God's going to ask you to go sell everything, give it to the poor, you know, all that kind of different right. stuff. We always that, go to the furthest extreme and we're trying to defend our comforts. Right. It's always like, right. well, what do you expect everybody to do that? It's like, well, don't ask questions that you don't want Jesus to answer. Exactly. Cause then you end up being, you end up being the guy that said, who's my neighbor. Right. It was, right. Hey, I've obeyed your laws. I memorized all the scriptures I needed to memorize. Why do I still not feel like I'm obeying you? And then it's, Jesus says, well, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Well, who is my neighbor? That question is Jesus, give me the parameters, give me the box that I can insert my faith in and let me stay there. Well, and, and the way to combat, I think that individualism is, Vulnerability. vulnerability. And so, because we're talking about a heart issue, we just went through a series in generosity and we, we talked about the fact that it wasn't, it's never about money. It just Mm -hmm. never, ever, ever about money. It's a heart issue. Weddings are about money. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh man. I, yeah. Well, I have, I have three boys, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I will come out scot-free, but um, yeah. So, but we just did this series on generosity. It's never about money. It always has to do with the heart. And the passage that we looked at was from 2 Corinthians, where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church because 
they said they're going to give to a need and they stopped. They just didn't see it through. And he uses this Macedonian church as an example. Mm -hmm. And the Macedonians, they didn't have anything, but yet they were begging for the opportunity to give even more. And so the question is why, why were they like that? And Paul tells the Corinthian church, why they gave themselves first to God. That was the answer. They gave themselves first to God. In other words, God had them completely. Right. So the, 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 the question of whether or not they should participate in an offering for somebody who had a need, it wasn't their stuff to give away. It was God's. I mean, they'd given themselves to God first. And I feel like, I hate using those words because it just sounds wishy-washy, but, and who cares how I feel, but I do feel like the church has positioned itself to present itself to a world to say, Hey, you know, you don't have to deny yourself. That's not what this is about. We're here to give you your full self. We're, we're right. You know, you don't have to, I mean, even the message, I mean, we feel like we have to apologize for this, but if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it requires you to change. Yeah, you're, you're trusting him to change you. You're trusting him to, you're, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to work inside of you to make you more and more like Jesus. And Jesus gave his entire life away for us. So that's the key. The key is, is like, we, we talk about what Jesus did for us in a universal way. We talk about how he gave us new life, how he gave us salvation, how he saved us from our sins. But if we're supposed to follow Jesus, look at the vulnerability of Jesus. Right. His entire life was an example of to follow God's will, you are completely vulnerable. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was relying on human beings to help sustain him. He was born in a manger where nobody else wanted to be from. It, it he was continually vulnerable to the point where he was naked on a cross between two soldiers being or two people being killed for their crimes. And so he did, was an so innocent man. So did he do man. that so we could live our best life right now? Define best <laughs> life. I mean, yes, he did. But there is a journey because he says, again, to follow me, to carry your cross and follow me, not die for me. And and this, this plays into so much. I... Uh, <laughs> Ben and I have a meeting today with a, a guy who we both come to love and um, he lives at a place people don't want to go to. And, um, and I'm, I'm always interested um, and we'll, hopefully we'll get him on the podcast and we'll be able to interview him yeah, a little bit and talk a little bit. Once but, you open this box, it's going to be hard right, to close it. Right. And it, it speaks to the issue that, you know, going back to this domestication and the church of Jesus Christ in the United States today lacks fruit. It lacks, it lacks, I mean, it sounds like I'm being Captain Negative again, but, and I'm not perfect at any of this, but are we really expressing the love of Jesus? Are we expressing humility? Are we expressing kindness and gentleness and faithfulness? Um, are we expressing self-control? Are we, are we expressing those kinds of a different thing? And, and, or is the domesticated church because we've told everybody, Hey, you, we're here to make sure that you have everything that you need 
so that you can live your best life right now. And so that everything that we do and everything that we create panders and caters to your specific desires, your specific wants, exactly where you or are Or even right cleaning now. up your specific messes. Right. Sometimes people yeah, see exactly. Jesus as like, yes, thank, I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful that Jesus came and cleaned up my yep, mess. But it's like, it, you're not the only one with the mess. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. And what about helping other people fix their messes right. too? I mean, again, we've just created this island type mentality and one of the goals, one of the hardest things I think in being in leadership in the church right now in the 2020s is rediscipling. And, and I know it sounds so egotistical. I'm, I'm Gen X, Ben's you're millennial. millennial. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's all my fault. It's, it's, it's totally natural. I'm, if you haven't all figured it out, I'm 100% a cynic. I mean, I just, my cynicism literally knows no bounds. I'm, I'm like max out cynicism, but I do have hope. I do believe in, in my cynicism usually plays itself out in the fact that, you know, it's very easy for me or probably to sound like I just abhor former generations. And if they would just listen to me, I mean, right. you guys screwed it up. Now I got to clean up your mess and all that kind of different stuff. I mean, that's every pastor. That's every right, person. Right. Everybody is every right. Every pastor knows how to be a better district superintendent than their district superintendent. Right. And all. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on and on. But the reality is, is there's, there's been no like sweet spot moment for the church. The church is living in a changing world and it always has lived in a changing world. And it's always been a church that's been on foreign soil. Mm-hmm. and had to understand what it means to embody a kingdom ethic in the time it finds itself. Naturally, it's not going to happen perfect because it's people. People are messy, right? And so in every generation and every season and every chunk of history that you look at through the church, we've failed at certain points, and I will too, okay? Right. My, my but- generation will. But the but the issue that that we're facing right now in these 2020s is I think a – almost a D well, I'm going to use the word deconstruction, which are, you know, people love to throw around hate at, but there is a literal deconstruction of this and then a re-discipleship into a new way of thinking and a new movement of what the church looks like in this century as we move forward. And that's vulnerability. When you look at the church, the early church, in the New Testament, when you look at some of these great heroes of the faith, even in modern history and movements of the spirit, when you see the church really doing what the mm-hmm. church needs mm-hmm. to do, were they concerned about self-preservation or were they at their most vulnerable point? Right. The early church was at the most vulnerable point they could be. Their savior just died. And the political pressure was to eradicate anybody that said the name Jesus Christ. But yet, they continue to do what they were doing. Right. When you see the people that you think about who were martyrs of the faith, or when you think about the Mother Teresas of the world, when you think about all these people that had made significant impact that continues to span generations, not that, again, it's about propping up names, but these people were vulnerable. I don't know. Whenever you see a big movement in the church or in Christianity or this big, huge thing that gets celebrated, if it's not followed up with vulnerability or if it's not built on vulnerability, eventually there almost always is a crash and burn. Well, and, and then the church gets hurt. It always surrounds too a willingness just to just let yourself go. 
You yeah. know, it, it's it's not about hanging on to you. It's about doing anything and everything that God would ever ask you to do or wish for you to do. And that doesn't mean it automatically is perfect or right. you're perfect. Because right. again, we're making mistakes left and right. Right. But it's the vulnerability to say, hey, I, I need to pivot. I made mistakes. I'm growing. Right. Yep. And so, you know, one of the challenges I think probably that our church and any church faces is creating those spaces for vulnerability and creating those spaces where, well, part of it is creating those spaces, but then convincing people that they need those spaces too. Yeah. Like and for instance, we have life groups at our church and you know, it's a manifestation of small groups, groups that any, any church would have. But if you wanted to talk about, you know, a place or a point where, and we've all probably been a part of small groups too, that didn't get there, that didn't quite get to that place where you feel like you can really trust these people or confide or just open up and, and be real, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that right there is the fertile ground. You know, again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those. Those are, those aren't like stickers that you put on a chart because you completed them. Those right. are things that happen in proximity that you have to be with people to exercise those things and for the fruit to actually come out. Right. I mean, when I get a sticker because I was patient in line at the grocery store, that's dumb. I get, I get, you know, the, the fruit of patience begins to come out of my life when I'm actually with somebody I have to exude patience with right. in a loving way and somebody I have to forgive and somebody I have to be gentle with or kind with and, and all those things that happens in proximity. And so it, a life group or a small group, things like that. And so it's even hard just to find people who are willing to lead a life group because I think there's, there is an awareness that this is hard. This yeah. is, this is the hard stuff. I've thrown the the statement around enough to be grossed out by it, but it's that whole idea of doing life together. Now I don't even know what that means anymore. <laughs> I really don't, but I know that it was said by church leaders a while ago and everyone kind of stuck with it for a while. But there's a reason why, again, in the New Testament, they were breaking bread together. They were meeting in each other's homes. The Sunday services are fantastic. I love them. And I love being a part together as a part of the one body that is the church. But there's a vulnerability factor when you're saying, hey, come into my home in the middle of the week after you're dealing with all the Monday morning drama, all the Tuesday morning drama, and let's actually be real with each other and let's be vulnerable. Or take it or need each other. Right. I mean, just the fact that I might say, I I need these people. Yeah. I I need some help right now. I need, I need some support. I need somebody just to let me cry or let it out or get angry. I I need just the admission of need is so foreign to the idea of, this platformed individualism. I mean, individualism says I don't need others. This Mm -hmm. is actually about me. Everything that I surround myself with is designed to help me. This isn't about other people actually learning that I actually need what other people have that I don't have. I don't know if that makes sense, but when you're in that context of like a small group or an accountability ring or, or whatever it is that you find yourself in, there, there has to be that place where you're allowing yourself to express need. Plus, individualism also reeks of, I don't want to hear about other people's needs. I got enough drama on my own. Why? Right, I mean, right. listen, I'm here for you to help me. I'm not here to sign up to help other people. You know, this that's not why we're here. And so individualism, I think, really permeates so many things that are 
such a challenge for the church today. But again, right. I, I think the I think the answer is those kinds of small groups and, and knowledge, being able to get connected and engage with others. Knowledge is not a fruit of the spirit. No, it's not. So like going back to the tree analogy, like what is the purpose of a tree that fruit that produces fruit? Right. It's to nourish somebody. So if we're just going to church to gain more knowledge, there is nobody in our life to love and to show kindness to and to be patient with and to be together. That fruit's going to fall off the tree and it's going to smell like those pear trees you were talking about. Right, and you're, you're right. just going to stink because you're going to be sitting there learning all of these things that Jesus wants us to know. But he wants us to know those things so that we can put them into practice. Right. And if you don't have people in your life outside of the two hours on Sunday morning to produce fruit with, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be life groups, but like your coworkers, your families, your extended families, your neighbors, like heaven forbid we know our neighbors and yeah. stop and talk to them for a little yeah. bit and see if there's a way that we can show a little bit of kindness. I mean, that is something small. It's something that maybe isn't even measurable on how you can figure out if you're living your best life, but that is the fruit of the spirit. That is what we're told is going to bring about the kingdom. Is it by showing kindness, which sometimes doesn't show up on a, on a spreadsheet. I no. don't know. No, it does. Well, and that speaks to, it is just super tempting to to build the blossoming tree. Yeah. You know, as a pastor, you get the strokes, you get the accolades, you get the star sticker. If your tree has the most branches, if it produces the biggest, brightest flowers, if if it looks the part, the dirty work is is literally is the pruning and in and, and developing of fruit. Mm-hmm. And and that's yeah that but that's what we're called to do. It's like we're in a homeowners association, right? They don't right. care about what's happening with our family as long as your mailbox is the right color and you yeah. have the right size tree in your yard yeah. and your house is the right kind of siding. Right. It's what's happening inside the house. What what does the outside look like? Right, right. So being like Generation X and and you know a millennial and different stuff like that. I think every generation tries to categorize people and and stuff like that, but. You know, you and I have been engaging in intentional conversations with people, all kinds of people across the spectrum, particularly some yeah. younger people. And so, again, going back to this individualism issue, we we make assumptions that Gen Z or Gen Y or whoever has certain perceptions and, you know, expectations for the church. And so mm-hmm. in the conversations that we've had, you know, what what is it that these people are looking for? What What is it that these individuals are lacking. And what you find out, I think one of the things that I'm learning is I've probably misinterpreted and mislabeled and misunderstood exactly what, what people are looking for from the church myself. We ask people, you know, why are you coming back to our church? Young people, um, we're asking them, you know, why, why have they stayed and are trying to engage in the life of the church? What are some of the things you're hearing? Relationships. Yeah. I mean, it really, even hearing from people that aren't coming back to churches, it's oh, sure. because they want relationships. They they want to not feel alone. They want to feel connected. They want to feel like their lives matter to other people and that other people's lives matter to them. There is, I mean, it's a God-given thing that is this love and this value of relationships and I mean, you look at the last couple of years with the pandemic, uh, 
everyone got used to being literally locked in their homes almost 24 Mm seven. And now you have all of these people that are like, okay, this is our chance to now rebuild how we want to live the culture that we want to create because people create cultures, cultures don't create people. The culture that is being craved right now by young people and older people doesn't matter what generation is people want to have relationships with people that they can trust people that they can be vulnerable with people that are being honest and vulnerable with them. They want to see real life. Like I know it's a, it's the name of the podcast. It's the name of the church. So we got to throw those words in there, but I like literally mean people want to experience real right, life and right. that happens with other people. Otherwise what's the point? Right. Quit putting on the, you know, the plastic shiny stuff on Sunday and, and all that kind of different stuff. But what, you know, where does, where does real life begin to emerge? Where does it take place? You know, you and I, oh, four or five years ago, I guess, uh, we're down with a group of people with Jay Height down at Shepherd Community. Yeah. In Indianapolis. Indianapolis. We were trying to, you know, come to an understanding of a little bit more urban ministry and compassionate ministries some different things like that and getting some training. But one of the things that we learned in that whole experience is that there's an epidemic of loneliness. Right. Right. Like, like, I mean, people are literally dying of loneliness and, and a lack of connection with other people. Number one, they don't know how. And number two, again, I, I keep, saying it, but the individualism issue, we chase something that is not good for us. It is not good for us to be alone. And yet it's the very thing that we chase, build our personal platform, build our personal image, build me, me, me. And we fail to understand the context of being in relationships with people and and Even the way that we looked at how we thought to solve the problems exactly. is a symptom of our individualism. Because when 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 they like kind of paused at that pump at that moment when they were like, okay, what is the biggest epidemic right now in urban settings or in cities across America? Yeah, that was not. We immediately we think for. like, oh, there's violence, or oh, there's poverty, or oh, there's this, there's racism, that, that, that. What is the one thing that people are struggling with the most? And then when they say loneliness, it's like, oh, well. I wanted to give them my prescription right. of Here's what money. Ben, Here's... what would Ben benefit from in his life that I can then insert my exactly. benefits on other people. Exactly. Here's money. Here's here's a food pantry. Here's right. a certain social service. Here's this or this. And they're saying, I don't want those things. I want you. Right. I need you. And that, again, from an individualism standpoint is... It's kind of easy to give money, isn't it? Right. It's kind of easy to say, I'll give, I'll give a couple hours to go hand out food in the church parking lot, or, you know, I'll, I'll go do this, I'll go do that. But when it comes down to giving yourself to someone, all of a sudden that individualism rears its, well, wait a minute. You know, that means I'm gonna have to sacrifice some stuff. That means I'm gonna mm-hmm. have to be uncomfortable. Again, that, that's just, yeah, we, we've, we've wired people to think that way. And now there's this challenge of dewiring and re-discipling people into a different Jesus ethic ethos of behavior. And it's, it's a challenge, but I think it's a challenge that's worth chasing. Oh, for sure. I think, I think the future of the church rests on a willingness of people to not build their engagement on personalities and platforms and programs, but actually on the people that they're Again, there's that word doing life together, you know, right. people that they can actually be vulnerable with and get to know on a less than shake their hand and smile at them on a Sunday morning level. Right. 
People have Google. If they need an answer, <laughs> if they need an answer, they can yeah, search for it and get true. it in five minutes. But if they need a person, right. that's something that Google can't give. Exactly. So how much more fulfilling of a life could it be to say that I lived a life where I was present for people, yep. not just giving them yep. answers that they can get from anywhere else? And don't worry. I mean, Generation X will save the day. So oh, yeah, we'll I'm sure. They'll fix whatever millennials broke because that's what we do. <laughs> So I guess, you know, Ben and I have all the solutions where we have all the answers, <laughs> but, uh, I just get the, real quiet whenever you say that, because I don't want any recording of me saying that, <laughs> whether it's sarcastic or not. Oh, uh, no, we're, I'm excited. I'm encouraged because I feel like the first answer to all of this is just an awareness of what the issue is. I don't even call it a problem. It's just an issue. And it's just one of various issues that the Church of Jesus Christ has or has ever had. And so, yeah, you know, God's much bigger than this. And so talking about something like the creed, the Apostles Creed is going to be good because I think that actually it opens the door for us to recognize more people in our lives that are just like us. Like well, we're a part of a big church. We're a part of this family that just simply believes in Jesus. Right. And then that means something for their life. It doesn't have to be so complicated. And we're in it together. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's probably the most encouraging thing that I've seen over this last year so far is, is again, it's easy to say we're going to focus on being one or unity, but I'm beginning to see some of the fruit of that, you know, being mm-hmm. able to see people reaching out to others. I mean, we've seen it at the community garden across the street where people are taking the initiative just to, to own things as far as I'm going to start loving on some people and I'm going to start yeah. bragging on, on other people and other things that pe- other people are doing. And, and the reality that we're, we're part of kind of a movement at this point. And right. it's pretty exciting to be a part of. And when you value vulnerability and when you try to model vulnerability, like we try to, um, people start to recognize that and then they start to become vulnerable too. And I mean, no, we've both had conversations that just kind of continue to stack up where people are willing to say, Hey, Let's cut the church talk a little bit. Like right. I'm going through something. How can how can I walk through this? And that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we have the answers, but it's like, all right, well, let's walk this road together. And vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Yep. Hence the words real life round table. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up. And uh thanks, Ben. And uh like I said, we're gonna have some guests uh coming up and uh, we got some things that we're working on, but uh Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you share if you feel so inclined. We're not looking to be viral, but we are looking to make a difference and and kind of extend conversations beyond Sundays. So, hey, if you know something you want to hear about or anything like that, just let us know. And uh, other than that, we'll we'll check in with you next time. Thanks. Yep. Don't be a stinky pear tree. Be a apple tree. I don't know. Hashtag stinky pear tree. Yep. Right. Thanks, Ben. The Real Life Roundtable is a production of Real Life Community Church in Portage, Indiana. For more information, follow us at RLCC Life on Facebook or visit reallifecc.org.